I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us worship God. it is when the community lives together in unity. It is like fine oil on a hand that runs down the beard, a common and runs down the power of the It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Turn us away from the world's distractions, O Lord, so that here, in this hour, we may dwell deeply in your presence. May the quiet of Christ come to us here. Restore us to the path that you have set for us to follow, and may we follow it with courage and with joy with gratitude for the hope that is possible through you and for the love that surrounds us in the community of friends and strangers, we raise our hearts in thanksgiving and praise in the name of the one who offers newness of life, even Jesus Christ, our risen Lord. Amen. We welcome all of you nearby and those far away. All are welcome in this space. And when I say all, I mean all the way St. Paul means all. All means all. 
The announcements are published in the calendar for you. Please have a look at them. Please uh, note the, uh, the desire for a survey of families with young children. That's kind of important. Please, if you are able to participate in that, it's online, please uh, participate. The uh, 20s and 30s volunteer event will be uh, Saturday, August the 26th. It, free books. This is uh, books in prison. It's an important piece of uh, prison reform to bring books behind bars. Please uh, have a, a consideration of that. Habitat is there, and uh, Dr. Mullis is away for the month of August. Those of you who are following Facebook have seen him in Scotland. Darn. Uh, and next year, Jerusalem. We'll be there. We'll do something. Uh, any other announcements for the good of the cause? Then let us continue our worship. Where can we be honest if we cannot be honest here in the sanctuary of God's presence? So let us with openness and trust name before God and before one another the failings and sins of our lives and ask for God's mercy. Let us pray in the words of our communal confession and then silently as we name our individual wrongs. Almighty and eternal God, in Jesus Christ, you turn to us in mercy. In him, we see your deep kindness. By him, we know you love and embrace us. Through him, you call us to forgive our enemies and make peace with all. But we do not do your will. When we should feel pity, we feel superiority. When we should have mercy, we demand accountability. When we should forgive, we insist on strict restitution. Almighty God, have mercy on us. By your Holy Spirit, restore and renew us. Grant us the faith, hope, and love we need each day to follow you wherever you call us to go. God promises this in the words of Isaiah. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. We belong completely to God, and we live in the wideness of God's forgiving mercy. Friends, believe the promise of the gospel.
Today's Old Testament lesson comes from the book of Genesis. When we hear scripture, we are hearing God's story, and we are hearing our own story, intertwined with God's story. So listen as you hear the story of which we are all a part. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me, and they came closer, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, while Benjamin wept upon his neck. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Our story with God continues in the gospel as it is told to us by Matthew from the 15th chapter. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David! My daughter is tormented by a demon! 
but he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. third lesson for the day is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans. We've been reading through Romans now for many weeks. Paul is approaching the climax of his great argument that God has been at work in the history of Israel for the rescue of the world through Jesus Christ. Today he addresses himself to the Gentile Christians lest they feel some air of superiority over the Israelites who have walked with God for centuries. Paul says, so that you may not claim to be wiser than you are, my brothers and sisters, I want you to understand this mystery. A hardening has come upon part of Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, out of Zion will come the deliverer. He will banish all ungodliness from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. So it is that regarding the gospel, they are currently enemies of God, but for your sake. But as regarding election, they are beloved for the sake of their ancestors. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Just as you were once disobedient to God, but have now received mercy because of their disobedience, so now they have been dis made disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you, they too may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that God may be merciful to all. This is the word of the Lord.
Gracious and bountiful God, you have told your story to us a thousand times. Open our ears that we may hear it. And hearing it, believe it, love it, and do it. We ask this in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. theme of our meditation this morning is mercy to all. Our text is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, for God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that God may be merciful to all. All of our texts are joined together by this theme of mercy. In Genesis, Joseph has his treasonous brothers in his grip, they are at his mercy. They are terrified. They are stupefied. They don't know what to do. They know what they did to their brother. And they cannot believe anyone could ever forgive them for what they did. They sold him into slavery. They chose not to just kill him outright, but to put him into slavery, a living death where he would be killed inch by inch minute by minute, year by year, never being his own person ever again, everything being lost, all belonging to the master, all belonging to the other, not him. And so they tremble before him. They cannot believe their horrible luck that here in their moment of need, when they are starving, they come to this powerful figure who might help them, and he reveals himself to him after he has sent all the Egyptians away, when it is a truly intimate moment, and he can now speak to them in Hebrew, and he says, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. But do not be dismayed. God has done this. He forgives them. It gives their sins against them because he now sees God is at work in all of their actions in order to save them all from the famine that was coming, to preserve Jacob's family, to preserve Jacob's life and their lives, his brothers' lives, all of Israel's lives, and through them, through the eyes of faith, they could see the life of the world And Matthew, the Canaanite woman, she is not a Jew, the Canaanite woman pursues Jesus and shouts, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. And his disciples are annoyed and angry, and they show no mercy. They do what many of us do when a panhandler chases us down the street, saying, spare change, spare change. They say, make him go away. Make her go away way she's shouting and making so much noise we can't even say our prayers she's so noisy when Jesus finally does speak to her he shows her mercy in a way we'll look at shortly mercy and here in Romans Paul concludes his long essay in the mystery of God's works among humanity and in history, 
Jesus and Gentiles, both with the astonishing conclusion that God has actually imprisoned everybody in disobedience so that we can have no pride. We cannot boast in what we have done to save ourselves because we cannot do anything. We are locked up in disobedience so that God might turn to us and release us in mercy. The raw democracy of sin that unites us in one place, equal before the mercy of God. Mercy, let's face it, mercy is the rogue element in our relationship with God. Mercy means charity, clemency, grace, leniency, and compassion that will not punish even when justice seems to demand punishment, will not redress grievances where the grievances are long and hard, but instead releases them, lets them go, saying, I will not exact measure for measure. I forgive you. Come home. This is a basic biblical theme. We see it everywhere. We've seen it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We see it held up by Paul as one of the basic elements of God, a basic characteristic of God, almost as if a law of God's nature, if it were possible to even speak it this way, because God, God is who God is. God has mercy on whom God will have mercy, and God does have mercy. It simply means that God does not want to be God if God cannot be merciful. A God that is so locked up in law, locked up in history, locked up in absolute principle that God cannot forgive without seeming weak or wishy-washy or complacent or tolerating of evil, then God does not wish to be that God. God wishes to be the God who will, out of all sovereign royalty, may turn to a fallible humanity say, I know you for who you are. In Jesus Christ, you know me for who I am, the merciful one, the one who comes to you in your need, who meets your need, and now addresses you in Holy Spirit and says, now come home. Come home to me. The prodigal is restored to the household and a feast celebrates the reunion. God shows mercy. And know what exactly this mercy is, God proves himself to be God. The one who judges rightly, the savior who brings rescue, the one who releases humanity, a humanity that prior to this was in ruins. This God, shows mercy, and shows mercy, Paul claims, 
to all, to everybody. It's at the core of the gospel. A God who is not merciful is not the father of our Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament vision. But mercy to all tends to get our backs up. We get like Joseph's brothers. We're a little jealous that there seems to be a little extra love thrown into the portion for others, not me. We like the idea, perhaps, of mercy to some, like me and my brothers or my friends, me and my fellow nationals, me and all my like-minded colleagues, mercy to some, or maybe even mercy to most, the decent folk, the good folk, the people who go out and earn a living or have made provision for their old age and are now being taken care of, mercy to them but it offends our sense of justice to say mercy to all. So the Bible portrays God's mercy. We get a little tutorial in what this word means, Joseph and his brothers. Read that story carefully. It's 10 chapters in, in the book of Genesis. It's a, it's a segment all to itself. It's almost like a novella as it was said to me. Joseph forgives his brothers, but not because they have earned that forgiveness. This is not a deal. This is not some sort of retribution where everything gets squared up at the end. Nor because he's some sort of a sentimental sap who lets his emotions cloud his judgment and he gets so, so uh, homesick for his father and his brothers, that he's willing to let all sorts of wrongs go and all of the things that happened to him in Egypt to be forgotten, well, because the text is clear. Joseph shows mercy to his brothers because he now sees that God has already shown mercy to him in a thousand mercies. He arrived in Egypt broke, enslaved, not able to hold on to anything, and through a series of momentous changes, he becomes second only to Pharaoh in Egypt with authority and power and riches and honor, and through using that power, he is able to feed Egypt in a time of famine and feed not only Egypt, all of Egypt, but to be able to feed the surrounding uh, Middle Eastern countries also, especially Canaan, Israel, where Jacob and his brothers live, uh, Jacob, his father, and his brothers live. God showed Joseph mercy. And now Joseph is able to turn to his brothers and show them mercy in that spirit. He sees the reason that God is at work in Joseph's story, so that all of his family might be saved. Now do not be distressed, he says to them, or be angry at yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life, the lives of him and his brothers and his father and their families, but also the lives of Pharaoh and his household and all the Egyptians, everywhere, all 
rescued by this odd turn of providence that puts Joseph in charge. Mercy. Joseph is able to extend mercy to all under his power. To Joseph, and so to his brothers, to his aged father, his old kindred, to Pharaoh, to Egypt, and in the eyes of Israel, by preserving the line of Abraham, he has even rescued the salvation of God for the world. All of this without Joseph's knowing. Mercy now putting right what sin had put wrong, without denying that the sin had taken place, but that justice, knowing that justice could not be served by simply enforcing the rules, by doing the strict, narrow, and punitive thing, but by being lenient and generous and inclusive, showing mercy, things are put right. Righteousness prevails. Mercy portrayed in the Old Testament. Now here, in the Gospel, a very, in an odd way, a very similar thing. Joseph was a Jew. Pharaoh was a Gentile. There's a cross of cultures. There is a I can't say a conflict, but a clash between what a Jew might expect from, from their God and what Pharaoh might expect as Pharaoh, almost a God himself. Here, there is a woman, a Canaanite, not a Jew, who comes to Jesus, a Jew, for help. She is the wrong race, the wrong sex, and she's in the wrong place. She is a Gentile intruding into Jewish land. She's a woman who dares to address a man. She is a pagan calling upon the son of David as Lord, giving him his messianic titles as a pious Jew might do. And the proof of her pollution that's the way they regarded it. Her uncleanliness is that her daughter has a demon. By Jewish reckoning, that means the daughter is cursed, the mother is cursed, her whole family is cursed. The demon has polluted everything. And Jesus, what is he doing here? But this is odd. This is the, this is the furthest north and west that he goes. He has spent his time in Galilee or in Jerusalem. But this is near the city of Tyre and Sidon. These are Mediterranean coastal towns founded by the Phoenicians. It's not Israel. And she is from this, this town. She is not Israeli. She is not Jewish. But he has fled here. He is weary by the growing, and it's now the almost universal opposition of all the religious authorities, and the constant pressure of the greedy crowds who chase after Jesus, asking for things, wanting things, needing things. Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Give me. You just fed the 5,000, feed me. You just gave them the good health. 
heal me. You've just given them comfort and support. Give that to me. You are the Messiah. Wearied by the growing opposition of the authorities, wearied by the constant demands of the crowds, and even the disciples still don't get it. They demonstrated fear. They don't understand the nature of Jesus' mission. All they understand is that this noisy pagan woman is disturbing their dinner. Send her away. He has been rejected by Israel. And he's moved to the margins of Israel's territory. But Matthew says he has not rejected Israel. He has not abandoned his mission. As he reminds her, I have been sent for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel is Jacob, Joseph's family. A millennia later, still hungry, still searching. These are the sheep Jesus has come to rep shepherd and rescue and bring in and feed. But she has a great need. She might be attentive to all these little details, but she has a need and she demands that Jesus address it. She transgresses every custom that regulates contact between Gentile and Jew, between male and female, between educated and uneducated, between the, all of the classes and castes of Israeli society, she just barges right in. She clashes, she, and she shouts, and she begs, and she throws herself down in front of him. All of this. Shocking to everyone who looks on her. She plainly is desperate, and her desperation is driving her to be one who can just crash through every barrier to get what she needs. So she confronts all of these polite rejections that good Jews have treated her with. And Jesus reminds her of the long legacy of mutual opposition and contempt between their races. He reminds her, you know among my people you are known as dogs. How is it I can take bread that was meant for the children and give it to the dogs? It is insulting. She hears it. But she still demands and insists, have mercy on me, Lord. This is going to be the battering ram that crashes through all of these objections, all of these customs, all of these prejudices, her need for mercy. And Jesus hears that. Jesus, in his own turn, now rejects a thousand years of racial and religious and gender-based bigotry for her sake and accepts her persistence, her cries for help, her desperation as the embodiment of human cries to God for salvation and treats it as such. Great is your faith, woman. May it be 
as you wish. Because the God that we both adore is a God who shows mercy. Mercy to all. This is our hope and our calling. Through these stories, we hear, first of all, something about God. As I have said, God does not wish to be God if God cannot be merciful. If God is somehow trapped in a logic of justice and law that cannot forgive, that is not God. The God who is merciful, the one who enters into relationship with sinners and in that relationship works healing, repairs damage, draws us out of our selfishness and into the wider world. That is God. And that is merciful. And let us go on and say that the God who is merciful is the only God there is. And why would you want another? The God revealed in Jesus Christ is not a God of the moment, a God for now, a God as best we can understand him until we get some uh, more information later. Or a God who is friendly to us for the moment, but will yet might become unfriendly and show hostility to us once again. This is not the God who is the Father of Jesus Christ. We learn about the God who is merciful at God's own core. And we learn something about the church, us. People who hear this story, who are invited to join this story, who are invited to be a part of this people people who know themselves to be the objects of this mercy, the recipients of this grace as the target of this forgiveness. That's us. Can we now start acting like that? Showing mercy to others, giving forgiveness, even when it's not deserved, but doing justice to all by making things whole again. This is the calling of people who see themselves in this story. Here within these walls, we can say this is the church. But outside these walls, we can say this is our common humanity to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. We are the church of the merciful, or we are not the church at all. So we learn something about ourselves. Yes, compared to Jesus' humility, we are still headstrong and proud. Compared to Jesus' energy and work, we are still lazy and slack. Compared to Jesus' fidelity to God, we are false and hypocritical, almost treasonous. We can confess that because God is merciful. So as the humiliated proud, we can still have faith. As the energized slackers, we can still have love. As the newly entrusted, we can have hope for ourselves, for our families, for the city, 
for our commonwealth, for this nation, and for the world. The God who rescues the world in Joseph. The God revealed to us in the mercy of Jesus Christ is the God who still, even today, invites us to join in that happy procession, that throng heading for home, because the one who trapped us into our disobedience did that only in order to release us in mercy. Now what leads Judas? I'll leave you with that thought. the faithful women and men who have succeeded us across the years and around the world, we are bold to confess the faith of the Church from the time of the Apostles. And so we join our voices with theirs in the words of the ancient creed, saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. God's abundance cannot be matched. Yet we are inspired by a generous God to ourselves be generous, inspired to give of ourselves by the greatest giver. So let us present our offerings, either bringing them forward now or at the end of the service or by giving online.
God, our gifts reflect only a small portion of all that you have given us. Receive them and multiply them for your use, especially in service to those who are most vulnerable and most in need. In Christ's name, amen. Let us now be in prayer together offering our gratitude and our intercession for others. Let us pray. O oh God, we give thanks for the gift of another Sabbath, another day of rest in your care. We are grateful to be able to gather in this sanctuary and to reach out online across the city and its neighborhoods and even the nation and the world to pray together. So we ask you to turn toward us as we turn toward you. We give thanks for ordinary neighbors who use their gifts and talents to help others, particularly today for those who support neighbors in Lahaina in Maui in their time of great loss and devastation and for those who continue to offer their time and their resources and their prayers to help those who have lost so much in Ukraine. We are grateful for the everyday miracles that give us hope, for newborn babies, today especially for Oliver Martin and his parents Monique and Bill and for all growing children. We are grateful for the gift of healing and the doctors and nurses who care for those who are sick. We are grateful for the nourishment of good food and the joy and strength of sustaining friendships. We give thanks for the gift of music for song and the gladness of heart that it brings.
Particularly today, we are grateful for the gifts that our choir has given and received in worship and song with the people in England and Scotland, and for the bonds of friendship strengthened through music. We pray this morning with and for the congregations in St. Paul's, in St. Mungo's, and in St. Giles, where we have worshiped. God of grace and peace, we offer our prayers for those in need. In this moment of prayer, we bring before you those who don't have the resources they need for safety, sustenance, and well-being. We pray for those who are lonely and feel like they have no community, for those who cannot find peace in their own bodies or minds, for those who struggle with faith, for those who profess faith in other ways than ours, whose traditions name the divine with other words, but who find there the same truth and love. We pray for those who govern and for those who serve their nations in places of danger. We pray for young people preparing for school days and for their teachers, that their minds may be open to learning and to teaching. We pray for those, again, whose lives are shattered by gun violence in our own streets and across the nation. We pray for the earth, which you lovingly created, and which today is much in need of your protection. May we heed the signs it is sending us, the floods, the fires, the life-threatening heat, the rain, the tornadoes, and confess our complicity in these tragedies. Help each one of us to change the behaviors that have led to climate disasters. We pray for our own church, its members and its officers, we pray for those who are sick and those who are dying. We pray for those who are grieving. For them, may the promise of resurrection be sure. We pray for those who are lonely or seeking direction in their lives. Give them your guidance and wisdom. We silently name friends in our church family this morning and pray for them. We pray for our families and our neighbors and for those we pass in the city whose names we do not know. May all whom we meet See your likeness in our faces. 
and your love revealed in the work of our hands. O oh God, you have welcomed us into the kingdom of heaven. It is a kingdom that is beyond our understanding, but we trust that you know it just as you know us. God, let us find peace in that which we cannot fully know, and faith to trust always in your love. Hear us now as we pray together the prayer that Christ taught us in words written on our hearts. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ speaks a hard, clean word that the God who gives us ears to hear the truth and mouths to speak the truth also gives us hands and backs and legs to go do the truth. So do it. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, and the love of God be with us all now and forever. Amen.